Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful day. It's nice and cool. It's nice and sunny. Uh, we have a beautiful breeze coming through uh, our vehicles or, or sitting out here. Uh, Lord, I, I want to thank you for all those who, who gave of their time yesterday uh, out here, getting the property ready, looking nice uh, for today, uh, getting everything set up, uh, as well as getting here early today uh, to get everything set up, the speaker system, so everybody should be able to hear everything. Uh, and, and everything that, go, that, that goes into these types of services. I thank you uh, for them. I pray that you would bless them for their uh, selflessness and their sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that it is a Sunday morning. It's the Lord's Day. Uh, we were temporarily uh, not able to gather together as a family to bring you glory and bring you honor and to worship you. So, Lord, we are very grateful that we have this opportunity that we can once again, in this way, uh, at least be able to come together as one and pour out our praises to you and, and learn from you, learn, uh, take a look at your word and see what you have for us this week. Uh, so Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified. To you be all the glory today and forevermore. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 46, the very beginning part of Psalm 46, we read, The Lord is our refuge and our strength. He is not only our place of safety, but He is our source of power, our source of strength. And not only that, but the, but the author goes on to say, A very or abundant or overwhelming source of help in times of trouble. God is not just sort of there and just kind of aloof or out there and he says, have fun with your situation. He is right there. He is right there next to you and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he is right inside of you. And you can run to him. And especially as we continue to grapple with uh, this current crisis that we continue to go through, and, and, and many of us have suffered tremendous loss, loss of loved ones, loss of friends, uh, because of, of this virus, uh, loss of income, loss of, of certainty, of stability. Uh, these, are, these are trying times. But God, like I said last week, God has not changed. And He can always be that. He is always there. He is always that refuge. All we need to do is run to Him. He will always be mighty to save. <laughs>
can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the How's that? fighting different kinds of battles. Some are battles of depression. Some are battles of addiction. Some are battles of fear and anxiety, especially during this time right now. We're all fighting some kind of battle. But guess what? Rest assured you are not alone. First of all, you have your brothers and sisters who are upholding you in prayer. The Bible says, pray fervently in the Spirit at all times. And pray for your brothers and sisters all around the world. But not only that, but we have the Lord God, the general, the commander-in-chief of platoons of heavenly soldiers who are fighting your battles for you and right alongside you. So rest assured, be strengthened and, and be uh, renewed and be hopeful that you are winning these battles. Not because of you, not because of your strength, but because the Almighty God, the commander of heaven's forces, are fighting those right alongside you. So 
this song last week, a song called Waymaker. And as we see the headlines and as we see what's going on around us and even deal with different things in our families and our personal lives, it might seem like God's not doing a whole lot. It might seem like He's far away. It might feel like you're alone. But the Bible says, The sheep that my Father gives to me, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. God is always with you. God is always here. God is always working. God always has a perfect plan, and nothing will thwart that. He will always be the way maker. Make a miracle worker. 
darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 That is who you Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this beautiful day. We thank you for giving us this piece of property that we can have such a service on, that we can gather together when so many other churches just don't have the capability right now. So Lord, we are extremely grateful. We are not haughty. We are just grateful. We're grateful that you have provided so well for us. We thank you that you've blessed us so much. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is always timeless and always true, no matter what situation we're going through, no matter what challenge we face. We always know that you are right here with us. We always know that you have a perfect plan, that we have your word. And so many believers, our brothers and sisters around the world, they don't have that gift. They don't have that blessing of having ready access to your word. So Lord, I pray that we don't take that for granted. I pray that we're in your word daily, learning from it, gleaning from it, learning from you, growing closer to you, because we know that's the only thing that matters in this life. Nothing else matters. It's only you. So Lord, I pray that you would calm and quiet our spirits right now, that we would be one with you, one with your word, that if there's anything that's in between us and you right now, we would lay it at your feet. And that there, there wouldn't be any interruptions, no disruptions. Uh, we can hear from you and have it make a real difference in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During this unprecedented time of of state restrictions, there are, are things that we've just gotten used to over the course of these 13 weeks. There are even terms that are not that, that were not in our uh, the, uh, in our everyday vocabulary, but are are now. For instance, 14 weeks ago, the term social distancing was not even a thing. You never heard that term before. The term social distancing. Can you imagine the offense? being taken by others if you said you needed to keep at least six feet away from them 14 weeks ago? Could you imagine the effect, what, what look you'd get on their faces? You'd think they, they thought that you thought that they smelled or something. I'm sorry, I need to stay six feet away from you. 14 weeks ago, your grandma would not be okay with just a bunch of her kids and grandkids driving by her house and saying, Hi, Grandma. Happy birthday. This is all we're doing for your birthday is just driving by and waving to you. Fourteen weeks ago, Grandma would not be okay with that. But now she has to because that's all you can do. And if you wore a mask into a grocery store, everyone else would be looking for the tinfoil hat that should be going along with it. Think about how weird the term contactless delivery is, right? You feel like you're this person sitting on a throne saying, just leave my food at the front door. I, I'm not even going to have any contact with you. Decent, common decency. Even just forcing you to sit in your car right now during this worship service was unheard of 14 weeks ago. But all of these terms and practices are just everyday life right now. That's just the way it is. They barely phase us anymore, even though they were unimaginable in our country just 14 weeks ago. But something evil crept into the country and forced different restrictions to be put in place in order to preserve people's health and safety. Last week, we talked about how we are, we are going to be talking about the parables of Jesus over the coming weeks, focusing mostly on Matthew's recording of them. 
because there is so much truth in them that is especially valuable and powerful during this difficult time. Last week, we discussed the famous parable of the sowed seeds on different types of soil and therefore different types of hearts. If you missed that, that, that message, uh, that service, including the worship music, that's all up on our website now, on our p- podcast platforms, and on our Facebook page, so you can go ahead and take a look at that. In today's parable, like how we started out our message this morning, there is something evil that creeps into a situation. That what it wasn't that situation before. It was unimaginable this, that, that, that this situation would be the way it is. It creates this, this evil that creeps into this situation, creates another unimaginable situation. But then it's just left to become a part of everyday life. And that sounds very familiar to us right now as we're going through this crisis. But in today's parable that we're going to be looking at, we're given the truth that that won't be the way it always will be. That won't be the way it always will be. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew 13 again. Uh, If you didn't, I'm sure you brought a smartphone with you. Like I said last week, go into your app store, download the free Bible app from life.church. It's all all free. And you can look that up on your smartphone. Matthew 13, uh, so we can all see this together. Uh, All right, we're picking up in Matthew 13, verse 24. We read this. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now this sounds, right, this sounds very familiar. This sounds very similar uh, to what Jesus opened up the parable we talked about last week with. In fact, there's not much difference at all when you compare these two verses. There's not much difference at all when you compare this to verse 3. Some people in the crowd, probably, listening to Jesus, might have even thought, wait a second, we've heard this one already. Change the channel. But starting in verse 25, Jesus veers off into a new parable. Verse 25, he picks up. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went away. While the farmer owned the land he just sowed wheat seeds on, he used his servants to maintain the field until the harvest. Remember that. The farmer owned the land, but he used and planted the seed, but he used servants to maintain that field. This will be important later on. We'll come back to that. While these servants were sleeping, the farmer's enemy came and sowed seeds of tares in that same field as the wheat seeds were just planted in. Now imagine having somebody who hated you that much. I, that they see you're, you planted, so imagine there was somebody who hated us so much they came and planted a bunch of weeds in our garden that we have here. I can't imagine somebody hating us that much. But apparently this farmer did something to tick somebody else off And he came while those servants were sleeping and planted seeds of tares. Now, what in the world are tares? Has anybody heard of that term before? Tares? You've heard it. I wonder how many of us know what they are. Now, tares, or darnel, is a type of weed in Palestine that resembles wheat in many, many ways. If to the untrained eye, it would look as it's first growing exactly like wheat. But when it gets to maturity, it's only distinguishable by black grains. So it looks like wheat in every other way except the grains that it grows are black. And that's how you're able to tell a wheat from a tear. The problem is that tares are weeds. They're worthless. You can't bring them to market in a bundle and say, I'd like to trade these in for something. The market owner would say, you're out of your minds. These are worthless. Come back with something worth something. They're not usable for anything. But you you, you can't tell it's a tear until it starts bearing these black grains at the exact same time as the legitimate wheat bears its grains. So they're growing at the same time and looking exactly like each other until they both start bearing grain at the exact same time. And that's what happens in verse 26. We read, 
But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And that's how they became evident, as they started bearing these black grains while the wheat were bearing its, its authentic wheat, grain, wheat grains. All of a sudden, the servants, who had thought everything was fine, everything was normal, nothing was out of the ordinary up to that point, start seeing the plants in the field bearing grain. And then all of a sudden, they start seeing that the, 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 some of what they thought were wheat stalks are bearing black grains, and it all of a sudden dawns on them what must have happened, and they think, oh no, oh no, 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 no. What just happened? What have we allowed to happen? What is going to happen when we tell the landowner? What is he going to do to us? We've managed to allow half of this field to become worthless. What is the land gonna, landowner going to do to us when he finds out? The land out, landowner is going to find out anyway. You can't hide this from him very easily. So it was better that he find out from them sooner than later. So they go to the landowner and say in verse 27, the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? <laughs> Notice how they phrase this. And it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I got a kick out of it anyway. They deflect. Read, read how they say it. What do they do? They deflect all the blame off of themselves and onto the landowner. You see that? I got a kick out of that. They basically say, didn't you sow wheat seeds? So what happened? Why are there a bunch of tares in your field now? And notice the landowner's response. He doesn't say, well, you know what? You were the ones who should have known what happened. I put you in charge. He simply and humbly answers their question. He didn't need to do that. He could have chewed them out right then and there because it was obviously their fault. He put them in charge. They were the ones that were supposed to prevent this from happening and they pathetically failed. But his response is simply and humbly answering their question. The first part of verse 28. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. He doesn't blame the servants. And he knows whose fault it really is. It's his enemy's fault that the tares are there. It's his enemy's doing that they're even there. The servants, seeing that they're not in trouble, respond with this, the second part of verse 28. So the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? What should we do then? They say. Shall we start taking out the tares from among the wheat? At this point, the grains are just starting to sprout. So it's not quite time then. It's not quite time at that point to harvest anything. And so the landowner's response is key to Jesus' entire point here. The landowner's response is key to Jesus' entire point. Verse 29. But he said, no, it's not time yet. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. The servants thought their suggestion was helpful. But the landowner knew that that would do more harm than good. He's wise. He's got experience here. If they just focused on tearing out the weeds from that field... Chances were very good that they would accidentally uproot, right, good wheat, or at the very least damage a good, pro good part of the wheat crop. There'd be a lot more harm than good that would happen at this point. So what's the landowner's answer in verse 30? Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he says, allow them to both grow to maturation into the time of the harvest. Then I'll tell those who will be reaping to cut down everything in the field. Do you see that? Cut down everything in the field all at the same time. 
Once everything is harvested, then the tares can be picked out from among the wheat because everything's cut down anyways. You don't need to worry about damage at that point. The tares can be picked out from among the wheat. They're bundled up. And what happens to the tares? Because they're worthless, they get thrown into the fire. They get burned up. The wheat will then be bundled up and stored in the barn to be sold because that was worth something. Now, as one biblical scholar pointed out, in Jewish thought, simply from the Old Testament, the kingdom of God, because remember, Jesus starts out this parable in verse 24 by saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to what I'm about to tell you. In Jewish Old Testament thought, simply from the Old Testament, the kingdom of God did not include anything like this. This is brand new to them. In the Old Testament scriptures, and you can go back and look this up, in the, New in the Old Testament scriptures, the kingdom of God destroyed all the evil and set up a time unblemished by evil. There wasn't all this mischief going on and evil creeping in and creating uh, chaos. Evil didn't creep into the kingdom of God and create trouble. So most of the Jewish uh, the crowd listening to Jesus probably didn't understand anything he was talking to them about. Anything Jesus had just said and probably just wrote it off as, you know, okay, this one is irrelevant and pointless as Jesus is going on some rant and wondering if Jesus had anything worthwhile to listen to. Now Jesus will present another couple of parables in this same teaching, which we'll get to next week. But when he leaves, the disciples who are just as confused as everyone else, because they, they, all they knew were the Old Testament scriptures too. They were just as confused about every, uh, as everyone else about the parable, about the wheat and the tares. They take Jesus aside and they up, up front ask him what that parable was all about. Like everyone else in the crowd, they had not heard anything like that about the kingdom of God before. And they wanted to know what Jesus had been talking about. Unlike the crowd, as Jesus had already divulged to his disciples, they had the blessing, the disciples had the blessing of understanding his parables. And so he explains it to them. And we have the blessing also as Jesus' followers to also have it explained to us. So we're going to pick up in verses, skip forward a little bit. We're going to pick up in verses 36 through, through 37. also of, of chapter 13. And we read this. When he left the crowds and went into the house, or then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And we'll just take a pause there. All right. So remember what I told you, what was important at the beginning, that it was important to know that Jesus calls himself the land-owning farmer. You remember that? All right. So here's where we pick back up with that understanding. Let's see what, other, what the other things symbolized in, in his parable. Verses 38 through 40. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. All right, so you, you get all that, right? You fully understand all that just from me reading those verses. I'm getting a bunch of blank and confused looks. That's all right. We're gonna get. We're gonna pick this apart a little bit. Jesus, remember, Jesus is the land-owning farmer. He sowed the seed of the gospel message into the world, and like the parable we talked about last week, some of that gospel seed fell on fertile soil or fertile hearts, ready to accept it, was well received, and bore people or fruit that followed him. These are the true inheritors of the kingdom of God, the sons of the kingdom that he explains in those verses. The enemy of the landowning farmer is, of course, as he says, Satan the devil, the deceiver, the one who causes all the trouble. And what he's done is he's gone and mischievously sowed seeds that bore people. If you haven't been paying attention up to this point, pay attention. He's gone and mischievously sowed seeds that bore people who look in every 
way like a follower of Jesus. In every way like a follower of Jesus, but are really weeds just mimicking true followers of Jesus. Those are the tares. Now, what is the time span that Jesus is getting at here? Here's where Jesus, as the landowner, comes back. In this parable, the landowner shows up at the beginning to sow the seeds, and then at the end, when it's time to harvest everything, including those tares. So by this description, the time period, this time period between the sowing and the harvest, apply it to uh, modern day times now, well, not necessarily modern day times, but human history, apply that to human history, the time between the sowing and the time between that and the harvest is when? Right now. We're still in it. These are the two advents of Jesus. The sowing of the seeds when He first came to earth and sowed the seeds of the gospel of the kingdom of God and sent the disciples out and the 120 were indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the church began. That's the, first, that's the sowing. The harvest is at the end, is at the end of this age. So the time period that where the servants go to the landowner and say, what's going on? There's all these tares in the field. That's right now. That's this current church age as it's described in theology is right now. We're in that current church age. Again, the church age started on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt those 120 followers of Jesus gathered in the upper room of, the, of a house in Jerusalem. The church age will end overall when Jesus comes finally, uh, fully comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, imprisons Satan for a thousand years, and establishes his earthly kingdom of unprecedented peace, health, and prosperity. And especially during this time right now, that sounds awfully desirable, doesn't it? An unprecedented time of peace, health, and prosperity. The description of what happens in this parable is a general is is a general description of what will happen at the end of this age that we're in right now. Not a specific step-by-step -step description. So generally, when the land-owning farmer, Jesus, returns again to the field of the world, he will send his angels out to reap. He will send His angels out to gather everyone to get, uh, together who has ever existed. This will be the time for judgment. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that anyone whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life will be gathered together to be thrown into the lake of fire, to be burned just as those tares were burned. These were all those who both didn't care at all about looking like a follower of Jesus and those who looked like a follower of Jesus but never, ever got to the point of surrendering their lives to Him. They looked nice. They did all the right things. They spoke all the right Christian phrases. But they never came to the conclusion that they needed a Savior from their sin. They never came to the conclusion that that Savior is Jesus and they needed to serve Him with the rest of their lives. What awaits all of those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life? Well, we find that out in verses 41 through 42. The Son of Man will send forth His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are not nice words to read. All those who claimed to be Christians but led others away from the truth, all those who claimed to be Christians but led others, uh, uh, but, but whose lives dragged the name of Jesus through the mud, 
and all those who simply thought believing in some kind of higher power was good enough, and they were just good enough, will experience the emotional torment captured by the description of weeping and the physical torment captured by the description of one gritting their teeth in tremendous pain. That's what that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, means. This is not a nice, feel-good subject, but it's the truth. Sometimes the truth is unpleasant. Sometimes the truth is unpleasant because it's meant to shake people up. If we thought we've been shaken up by this current crisis we're in, we've been experiencing lately, it's nothing compared to the hard-hitting truth of the judgment of God. I've heard some people declare, only God can judge me. Have you heard that phrase before? Only God can judge me? Maybe you've uttered it in your life. Only God can judge me. On the surface, that sounds freeing, and that's how you, people usually say it. But if you have not committed your life to Jesus, those are words that should scare the pants off of you. Only God can judge me. You might be sitting here today, either in a car on the lawn, and you might have thought, boy, I picked the wrong Sunday to be here. <laughs> but these are also words of comfort, and here's why. God, as the being, God is perfect. God is perfect. If he wasn't, we would have no reason to desire him. We would have no reason to follow him. We would have no reason to honor him. We would have no reason to, to live with him, to, want our, to, to give our lives to him and live our lives for him. His perfection means that he is also perfectly just. In a world where nothing is black and white and everything is multiple shades of gray, that is a hard pill to swallow. But the way we see things in this current world does not affect in any way what the truth is and what the truth of who God is. And as God is perfectly just, He will not allow evil and sin to go unpaid for. If an earthly judge just let a guilty man walk, he wouldn't be very just, would he? And here's some more. You can stand it. Here's some more cold, hard truth. We all sin. If we claim that we don't sin, if you claim you don't sin, you're a liar. I'll tell that to your face. If you claim you don't sin, you're a liar. We were born into sin. Our sin, as God sees it, is rebellion. Not only is God perfectly just, He is holy. And what that term means is he's perfectly moral. Our sin is an affront and open rebellion to most holy God. What that means is we all, even the guy standing up here, we all deserve the end that Jesus describes in verses 41 through 42. We all describe that weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we deserve. But since God is perfectly just and perfectly moral, what else is He perfectly? He's perfectly loving. And in His love, God did not want everyone to experience that end that everyone deserves. The Bible tells us that the payment for sin is death. The payment we deserve to pay for our sin is not only physical death in this world, but spiritual death. What the Bible describes as the second death. Banishment from God's presence in a place called hell. The death that is described in verses 41 through 42. That second death. We will all have to experience physical death still in this world someday. But in His love... God has provided a way for us to escape the second death, punishment. And He's provided a way that does not negate His perfect justice, nor His perfect morality. 
Remember, the payment we all deserve to pay for our sin is death, both physical and the second death. So God paid that payment Himself. And that's how He didn't negate anything else about Himself. God exists in three persons as one. I'm not going to get into all the theology of that right now. And besides, even if I did, we'd never fully understand that anyway as, as limited human beings, or else God would not be God if we could un fully understand that. All we need to understand as limited human beings is that God as one under, uh, exists as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father requires the payment of death for sin. God the Son, or Jesus, is the one who paid that payment of death on our behalf. You see, if we paid that payment for ourselves, if we said, oh, I'll just do it myself, that wouldn't mean anything. You, we'd simply be paying for something we owed. Like if you go to the store and you, you plop a pack of gum on the counter and the shopkeeper looks at you and, and just looks at you and you say, well, I'll pay for that now. You think, well, yes, if you want to walk out of here with that, you're going to pay for it. You owe me for that pack of gum. We'd simply be paying something we owed. So it took someone without sin himself, in other words, God himself, the Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf for us. Imagine you stood condemned before an earthly judge and you were just sentenced the death penalty. Just before you were led away to pay that payment for that crime, someone else stood up in the back and declared, I'll pay that debt for that person. I'll pay that debt on their behalf. You would go free. For someone still paid the price required. That's what Jesus has done for each of us. He stood up and said, I'm going to pay that payment on their behalf. Jesus was not put to death by his Jewish brothers and sisters. And Jesus was not put to death by the Romans. No matter what History Channel documentary you watch. Jesus went willingly to the cross for you. Jesus willingly took the beatings willingly took the humiliation and the torture and being nailed to a cross to give up his life for you. And then three days later, Jesus rose again to life for you. He paid your sin payment. He took your place. It's a gift that God extends to everyone, but it's only extended. That's as far as it goes. God won't make the decision for us. Each of us has to take that gift for ourselves. All we have to do is to recognize who we are standing before God. To just be honest. Be honest with ourselves. Be honest standing before God. We're sinners. Let's not try to cover that up. Let's not try to sweep it under the rug or try to belittle it. We're sinners. We all sin. We all deserve that spiritual death, that second death as described in Matthew 13, 41-42. And we ask God for forgiveness of that sin. And we do so hinging on Jesus dying in our place. And all Jesus, the true King, asks of us is to live the rest of our lives in following Him and God's teaching. When we come to that conclusion our name gets added to the Lamb's book of life and we need not fear that second death. It's already sealed for us. We already know where we're going. Our eternal fate is sealed. In fact, what we have is being adopted into God's family and getting Him as our Heavenly Father who will always watch over us and who has a perfect plan for each of us. What we have is the Holy Spirit making a home within us, transforming our hearts and making miraculous change in our lives. What we have to look forward to is an eternity spent reveling in the light and love of Jesus. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what's described for us in the last verse of our parable this morning, verse 43. 
then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And when you really stop and think about it, especially during this crisis, as we're all shaken up from it, that's all that matters. When you really stop and think about it, that's all that matters. Knowing all of this then, we all need to ask ourselves, even if we've been going to church for years, am I really just a tear? Have I really been living my life for years as just a tear? Have I ever made that decision to ask for forgiveness of my sin, taking a hold of that gift that God is extending to me, accepting the gift that Jesus died for my sin, and then living the rest of my life to serve Him? Or have I just been pretending? Have I never surrendered my life? Have I just been pretending? Have I led others to think I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm really not? Have I led myself to think I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm really not? If you have never made that decision, again, some more cold, hard truth. If you've never made that decision, it does not matter at all how good you think you are. It does not matter at all. If your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life because you never surrendered your life to Jesus, you will be banished from God and suffer what we all deserve that is perfectly just, exactly what is described in Matthew 13, 41-42. Eternal emotional, spiritual, and physical torment. Thank God he has provided a way for us to escape that. Amen? I know you're all saying amen, even though I can't hear you. <laughs> there you go. Thank God he has provided a way for us to escape that. Thank God Jesus went willingly to the cross to take our place. Thank God Jesus rose again to give us new spiritual life and transformation of our lives. If we have made that decision, even if it was years ago, that gives us so much joy, we can't help but dance in our hearts than if we weren't sitting in our cars, actually dance. And I'd like to see some of that. I'd like to see some of you dancing. Yeah. I'd like to see what that looks like. <laughs> you don't want to see me dance. Let's live our lives in that joy. Let's live our lives in that joy because that's all that matters in this life. It doesn't matter what else is going on. Let's live our lives in that joy. Let's live our lives in that peace, knowing that no matter what happens in this world, God has a perfect plan for us that He's working out, and nothing, nothing, not a virus or a family loss or income loss or anything else will thwart that plan. Nothing. As the Bible says, this world is not our home. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God this world is not our home. And as I've said before, God is using this current crisis to shake people up and really make them take a hard look at their lives. Even for followers of Jesus, we should see this crisis as a reminder that this world is not our home. It's okay if everything falls apart in this world because this world is not our home. We're just passing through, giving as much glory to God with our earthly lives on our way to our true heavenly home. And that home, brothers and sisters, has no tears, no pain, and no darkness. Only the presence of Almighty God. If you haven't yet made that decision to accept that gift of forgiveness and salvation from your sin and to live the rest of your life for Jesus, don't fool yourself anymore. Do not deceive yourself anymore. Jesus didn't pull, your, pull any punches. We, he was very clear about that here in this parable. Jesus did not pull any punches. So you must stop too. Be completely honest with yourself. Have you truly committed your life to Jesus or have you just been pretending for years 
The end result is the same. You face the same eternal punishment as someone who didn't care at all about God and lived a fully self-centered life their entire lives. Be shaken up. Be uncomfortable. Be shaken up. Answer God's call He's been extending out to you for years. And then finally have the full peace of knowing you know where you're going to go when you die. You don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. You don't need to keep a tally. You don't need to have to think, I hope that's where I'm going. You will know 100% fully sure who you will be with and where you will be when you die. If you want to make that decision right now and you haven't yet, pray along with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. I know Jesus took my place that I deserve in death. Because of that death on my behalf, please forgive me of my sin. I live my life from this moment forward for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer today, I want you to find somebody that you know is a, is a follower of Jesus, is a wheat stock, is, a, is an authentic follower of Jesus, and tell them, say, listen, this is what I did today, so they can encourage you and help you in your new faith. And you might have been sitting here wondering this entire time, why is this guy preaching on something I've heard a million times? He preaches the same thing every Easter. He preaches the same thing every Christmas Eve. Why am I hearing the same exact message now? I do it for exactly the same reason Jesus gave this parable in the first place. I do it to speak to those who are hearing this for the first time and have never thought about it until now, or you've heard it before, but you never really gave any of it a second thought before, and you now are. And I do it to speak to those who have been going to church for years and may be here today or are watching online, but all you've done is pretend for years. Stop pretending for your eternity's sake. I implore you, stop pretending. You are not good enough on your own. You need the righteousness of Jesus. Finally, make that decision wholeheartedly today. Make that commitment. The Bible is the truth. It is God's Word, no matter what this world thinks. And some good those beliefs are doing the world, aren't they? Anchor your soul into the truth of Jesus as revealed in God's Word. Live the rest of your life, no matter what hardship is next down the road, with the hope, joy, peace, and comfort that nothing in this world can give to you. Nothing in this world. Only Jesus can give it. And like we talked about last week, if you've been getting caught up in all the fear and anxiety of what's been going on all around us lately. Break through the brambles above and strike your roots through the rocks below. Be firmly planted in the peace of Jesus, knowing He has a perfect plan for you, bearing all the spiritual fruit He wants you to bear. Be the wheat in this world. Be the authentic worthful wheat in this world, showing others who have no foundation and no clue about what's going on in this world and how to process all of it, what they can also have in Jesus. We're still in this waiting period in between the first arrival of Jesus to earth and his second arrival. There will be tears around us in this world and even among us. Don't let them discourage you, but let them encourage you to be even more like wheat, like an authentic follower of Jesus. But there will be a day when the tares can no longer hide. Their grains will be evident. They will be apparent. The, the tares can no longer hide and no longer pretend to be what they're really not. And on that day, we who have been forgiven of our sin 
and live for Jesus will, as it says in verse 43, shine forth as the sun. And we will fully enjoy all of God's blessing He's been preparing for us all this time. In the meantime, let's stand tall as authentic wheat stalks, not shying away from the truth, but leading others to put their trust in the same truth. And that way, as last week's parable ended, we'll bring 30, 60, even 100 souls with us into eternal paradise. As Jesus ends this parable with, He who has ears, let him hear. Take this to heart. He who has ears, let him hear. Take it to heart and do something with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truthful, powerful, profound parable. We thank you for the truth that it gives to us. We thank you that like the disciples, we have the blessing of being able to understand it. And because of that, we have the responsibility of doing something with it. So Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today or watching online later who's been pretending for years, who's been a tear for years, I pray that they would finally today surrender their lives to Jesus, ask Him for forgiveness of their sin, and live the rest of their lives for Him. And Lord, those of us who have, who have done that and are living our lives for You as best as we can, I pray that we would find our joy in that, that we would remember that this world is not our home and to not get too wrapped up in the anxiety and fear of what's going on around us, but to take the peace and to take the joy of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are fearing and who are anxious. And say, let me give you hope. Let me tell you who can be your hope. And Lord, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I know we all do this, thank you for giving us that way of escape from the, from the end, the eternity that we all deserve. Thank you that you went willingly to the cross so that we could be restored to you and we could escape that and be able to spend an eternity with you. Lord, I, don't I pray that we don't take that for granted, but that we thank you every day for that. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be closing out our time this morning on a very well-known hymn called Love Lifted Me. And it describes what our lives were like before we met Jesus and how we were sinking and how chaotic our lives were without that hope of Jesus. But Jesus reached out to us and he grabbed us and he pulled us up. And the last verse of it says, souls and dangers look above. Jesus completely saves. And for those of you who, even at this point, have not gotten to that point of making that decision to surrender your life to Jesus. Take those words to heart. Answer that call. Know that Jesus completely saves. He wants to be your Savior. Surrender your life today. So much.
Again, wait and go into this week with the power and confidence that Jesus took your place on the cross so you can live your life for Him and have an eternity spent with Him. Go in peace. Amen.